In this episode, Francis Trudeau, CFO at Brainbox AI, talks about estimating company value in today's hyped up market, outlines how Brainbox are fighting climate change through intelligent heating systems, and emphasises why automation was a key mandate when starting his latest CFO role. Hi, I'm Ross, and this is the CFO Playbook, where each week you'll get insights from world-class financial leaders to help you grow your company, yourself, and face the challenges required of today's CFO. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks a lot, Ross. I appreciate it. So Francis, I noticed when when I was uh, obviously looking into your background and, and that we shared many, many moons ago uh, an experience um, with Arthur Anderson. So I worked for many moons ago Accenture, which was the consulting, which was, of course, the rebranded version of the consulting side of Arthur Anderson. And, and earlier on, you'd worked for the audit side of Arthur Anderson, which at the time was one of the, the big five. And I actually, like nowadays, most people only know the big four because it's been subsumed since then. But um, whilst it seems many moons ago compared to your experiences now working in tech as a CFO, I I wanted to start by just asking what it was like at that pivotal period in Arthur Anderson when you were joining first first stage in your career and they were they eventually towards the end of that went through this tumultuous time with the Enron scandal. Yeah, I mean, to date, after like a career of 22 something years, uh, Arthur Anderson is still my favorite employer. So I'm, I'm still branded Arthur Anderson with considering everything that happened since. I, I, I really love the culture there. Uh, I love the training. I love the people, like uh, still personal friends today uh, from Arthur Anderson. But it was a tough ride. Like, for example, um, I, I've worked there for almost almost three years. But after the last year, I, I transferred in the corporate finance department. So going from audit to corporate finance and and from a team of that's around 30 people, we were six at the end. In Canada, Art Anderson got like onboarded to Deloitte. So the, the Canadian branch got acquired by Deloitte. And it was a tough ride. We, it was the beginning of the early years of internet and the billing of Art Anderson was public and going down every day and losing clients. Uh, I was proud about like Art Anderson and to see all that, like, and, and see like there was 88,000 people around the world, which I don't know if you were still there at that time, but to see like all those people that were not involved being impacted by like, a team in the U.S., like uh, from Houston, uh, it was difficult. Uh, it was difficult, but still today, uh, as I said, like I, 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 I retain all kinds of good souvenir about Art Anderson. And I can imagine that because it's such a formative period in your career. And so then you you mentioned that within that experience, you'd already decided to move from audit into corporate finance, which in a way was the big step that led to you going down the path that has led to you where you are now as CFO. So what prompted that that move? Already, like after completing my BCom, I didn't know if I was a going to do investment banking or accounting or finance type of corporate finance type of role. And and I met people from Art Anderson and like in career centers and stuff like that. And I was impressed by their drive. And you just said it, it was like growth oriented, like very outgoing type of approach. And 
And I said, like, why not? So I, I basically um, joined to do my CPA, uh, CPA CA in Canada, and basically started as a summer student and gave me a chance to to like it and basically join after my, my, my BCom and did my CA program. Yeah, and finance was has always been in my mind the career that I was looking. I like the business sense and I like the so early on I was very lucky. Transfer were rare. I like the, you know they were marketing it a lot, but it was it was difficult to get through that. But I, I was lucky enough I, I was able to make it. So after my hours were completed, I switched to the corporate finance department and Montreal like was an early stage office of Arthur Anderson. So we were doing a bit of everything from business model to like sell side, buy side, business valuation. So it was good to see as, as an advisor and to be able to touch a bit of everything, help different partners at that time. And then that experience of moving to corporate finance, that pretty much set the scene for another close to a decade and a half or so in and around corporate development and M&A. So presumably that that was your spot. You must have loved it to have committed for such a long time. At set this stage in my career and my art and mentor at the time, still my mentor today. And I cannot thank him like enough because really like even today in my CFO position, everything that I've learned through like corporate finance, m and business valuation serves me a lot. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a charter accountant and it's basic of of my training and of my knowledge but this business partnering approach understanding different areas of the business the value proposition i i think i really got early in my career got into it and that's at the stage because i decided after to complete an mba i decided to do a chartered business valuator title which uh, served me a lot so I encourage people that are working in accounting firms that are curious about other departments to try to do it. So then as someone who is an expert in, in well, I'll call you an expert in business valuations or certainly someone who's is classically trained, I would love to know your views on the valuations that are in the market right now, both public and private, especially in technology, because they've broken away from all, all conventional fundamental values. So how does someone, again, like you as a CFO in a tech company, bridge the gap between their training and understanding business value and the current valuations we see in the market today? It's crazy. Early in my career, it was like the dot com. And, you know, at that point, like the rule of thumbs at that time, it was a famous five to seven times a bit uh, in, in like type of type of approach at that time. And, and you know, dot com like exploded all that. And then there was a crisis 2008 and even 2002 and then 2008. And you say, OK, it's going to come back to normal. But today it's it's just like above everything. So. It's difficult because as an, an investor, your ROI is, is not like, or your payback period is, is not very long. It's, it's not over like the traditional time frame. So when you acquire a company, I don't know, 15, 20 times cash flow, it puts a lot of pressure on synergies or growth. And growth in tech company has been like tremendous lately, especially the pandemic has accelerated all that. I could understand like the, the valuation of those tech companies, even if they're not profitable. Like, I, I mean, we, there's precedent and it, it, it justifies, but 
There's all kinds of other industry where I, I don't see how someone will make an ROI and that puts pressure on quick decision and synergies and sometimes very often is short-term synergies to please investors, which that's where I, I don't think we're creating value as, as a whole, as, as a system. But it's definitely on earth, but there's so much capital right now that it's a willing buyer and a willing seller. So you have to accept that the market is right even if it's, again, like the, the, the rule of thumbs you've learned younger in your career. I like the fact that we begin with classical models, fundamentals, and then when that breaks down, like Bitcoin, it just becomes supply and demand. Exactly. The accountants, after we try to transition supply and demand into model and, and justify it, but at, at the end of the day, there's people that transforms things the right way and with their capital, like are being able to generate synergies and, and good if, if they're able to, to make it. And that's why the valuations are, have been driven up right now. And I wonder what role that you've seen players like Tiger Global play because their approach for, for those that have come across them is fascinating. And, and I only recently came across them this year and the way that they're come in. And you see a lot of memes on, on social media, whether it's Twitter or LinkedIn, about how Tiger Global are you know chasing founders with insane valuations. And in a way, they almost don't care about the valuation because they just want to have participation in certain macro trends and they're outbidding a lot of the classical Bay Area funds. So these crossover funds are are completely disrupting the game and, and it's, a, it's a fascinating dynamic. It's fascinating. But, you know, there's a scarcity of talent, but also good companies. So by them betting on, on macro views, I think it's proven that it's it's the right thing to do. The only thing is how many people bet it on, like the internet, like, at the turn of the 2000s and you've seen Google and, and some of those companies like come up to the end, but there's a tons of those, I would say companies that were in that field that just disappeared. So by them, like it becomes a portfolio effect at one point, they, they bet on a the sector, they bet on macro views and they'll have success at one point. I think it's the same thing right now with electric car or with Bitcoins in a sense, like, you know, at one point it's going to get there. So I think their approach is, is totally disruptive. It's it's creating pressure on the, on the other, more conventional. Like imagine banks right now in those sectors like that needs to compete with with players like that, with all kinds of risk management. And so it, it becomes it becomes difficult for them to compete. We're speaking about it more as an, an observer or of the market, but then you, of course, you're very much participating as CFO at Brainbox AI. Uh, and so, again, if you're thinking from the point of view of a CFO, how do you think other CFOs should perceive these types of investors like Tiger or the disruption that's occurring? Because ultimately, there's a very delicate balance for CFOs where we, you want to raise funds, but at the right valuation that's not too high, too low, in a sustainable way, almost almost impossible to get right. So how should how should other CFOs think about that? That's a very good question because we just closed a Series A round and we just went through that type of decision. You mentioned like right partner, right valuation. That's like a fine balance because also you, like our case, like startup, you know, you're going to get a next round and you still need to like interest investors. So on, on the right company or right partner, it's going to sound cliche, but values are important. So if you're there for the long run or the longer run, and if you believe that you're not ready for a quick exit, you need to choose that those types of player. There's a lot out there that are more value driven, maybe longer Period older, old, so 
I, I would say like for CFO, let, let's make sure you uh, you look at what their investment cycles and, and make sure you understand their track record. Sometimes you look for short-term aggressive, like high synergies type of player that creates value. And sometimes you need a different uh, partner. In terms of the, the valuation, it's also a tough question because you also want to like show like progress and, and, and you want to benefit from this hype. And in our case, we're right in the middle of AI and GHG, carbon reduction, climate change. And there, there's a lot like of, it's very important and there's a lot of traction around, around, around those uh, companies. And so you, you still want to position yourself as something that could attract I valuation because the next one you want to show that you're better and and so your your basis is very key and important so it puts pressure on management but you want to still benefit from that um, so that's a fine balance as you said it's it's not easy but at the end the market wins so you you have discussion and you lose some investors because they don't believe in your valuation you gain some and at one point you reach a point where you feel you're in a zone and and that everyone is comfortable and on that point that you're obviously at series a so you're establishing product market fit and and showing that you can grow globally and so forth but the there's always a delicate balance as well between growth at all costs, almost like the WeWork model, uh, and then profitable or really strong unit economics. And if you go too far one way or the other, then it, it can lead to a very misbalanced business. But it's very easy to get lured into just grow, as long as the top line grows, everything else can go by the wayside. But then there, there some companies have been really burned by that. How do you view that? There's so much competition on deals that investors try to more and more accept those ARR, MRR type of valuation and less about like percentage EBITDA or percentage of profit. Basically, at one point you need to make money and, and you need an LT situation. Uh, you, you need an LT financial position. So it's our role to make sure we have a sustainable growth, that it's not going to burst, uh, that you, you're not going to disappoint your investors because it, I think every investor is okay with, as long as there's growth, they're okay with cash burn and everything. But at one point you need to deliver. And I think that's part of my role as a CFO to make sure that we, we keep that balance. And right now, like a series A, so you can imagine we we're still like, startup burning money we're just starting com to commercialize so when are we gonna be break even it's difficult to predict in these days but you you at least need to show signs of it by managing your costs in a way that there's always more demand than supply uh, as every company uh, but you need to find this balance that you know at one point you convert into a profit or cash flow positive the big i think issue or analysis we need to make is does it have to be like in the next 12 months or sh could it be 24 months and so that's uh, that's always a difficult in terms of capital allocation difficult decision or, or you want to get that break even point early or later and that's you know discussions we're having with boards and 
our financial uh, stakeholders. But at the end, again, we put the pros and cons and, and find, a, find a balance. But uh, in our case, it, it's been a growth story so far. So we want to still push and we have tremendous help from our, our, our financial sponsor. But we're at a point where we need to establish as, as a credible company and, and make profit. So again, is it going to be like next month, uh, next few months, and next 12 months? We don't know, but it's we'll need to get there. That's my point. <laughs> Yeah. And and then you mentioned that, that you have to manage that cash burn very carefully. But the, of course, you're focused on growth at the beginning. So those, that concept of cost control, if, if introduced too early, could, could it be a constraint? Or if introduced too late, it could lead to chaos in an unsustainable business. So is that something that should wait? Or should, should companies you know, at Series A at your stage introduce that visibility and, and focus on, on costs? You need to first demonstrate your value proposition to the market. And, and even if it, it leads to losses, it's rare a company that's going to break. If you try to break even like day one and sell a unit and make margin on it, it's rare companies that, that could do that. So you need to accept this phase. And as a CFO, it's sometimes I, I think we too risk averse and we're having a hard time understanding that period and we're it's our role we're pushing on on management on the ceo very often try to find that balance but i think from what i've seen this period of of growth is is critical for like future success and and you should try to sell your future to your investor and try for them to understand your value proposition more than your cash positive cash flow. I, I think it works well. And when you you reach a different maturity stage, now that you have a different set of investors, you have like, and that's where you, you start to talk a different language. It's, it's more cash flow related. So I, I would encourage the CFO to try to understand the value proposition, understand how we could go to market and how we could generate value uh, with the business more than thinking cash flow and, and managing cash flow accordingly and communicating that, okay, we, we might need another financing round at that stage and that stage. That's to me more important than making sure we're breaking even. Brainbox AI has a, a fascinating value proposition because you're you're tackling a very complex, hugely widespread problem that doesn't just impact companies that you're cutting customers, but actually has a huge impact on the climate and the future of the planet. So no pressure to to get it fixed then. But the, there's clearly this huge opportunity. But we've now so we're we're Soldo is based in the UK, and and so there's been a lot of attention on COP26 as there is uh, every time we have these conventions. And whilst there wasn't the progress that many wanted, there were like the the it felt as if there was a a, big, a much more increased focus and more momentum towards not only debating if this is a problem, but really demanding significant action on this. And so it feels as if Brainbox AI, like as as a company, is in an incredible space to have a really meaningful impact on on the world at the perfect time. Yeah, I mean, talking about COP26, we, we just got like, uh, we just won the price of the Tech for the Planet, the first price at COP26. Uh, so the technology, future technology potential of, of the year uh, selected out of 10 potential other companies. So we're very, very uh, proud of that and very excited. I think it, it shows the level of uh, impact and importance we could have on, on the planet. And it's it's important and it's critical. I think we're out of time. We need to 
do tr dramatic change uh, and uh, we're very happy that you know regulations are starting to change i think uk uh, there's a significant uh, regulation change australia we see that it's happening right now so I think we're well positioned. Um, our value proposition is towards buildings, so HVAC system, and that accounts for more than 20% of the uh, GHG like emissions. So if we could reduce the energy consumption of this asset class, it could have a tremendous impact in the world. So what we're trying to achieve right now is think about uh, a self-driving car with uh, artificial intelligence. So that applies to automotive industry. Think, think about like Brainbox doing that for the building class. Um, so taking data that is generated by the buildings and communicating back to the building and reducing energy consumption while keeping the comfort of the user of the building. So that's what we're trying to achieve. And next step for us is also to attack the energy grid. So think about like clusters of building in UK working together and having idle like capacity supplying that to the energy grid and and solving all kinds of energy problems on a greater level that's our next innovation and where we if if we could reach a certain scale that's that's you know uh, for us the next phase of, of our evolution working with the the grid providers and and supplying from the building total amount of energy, supplying a, a bit of that to, to the grid providers. So that's very, very critical. And that's where we are right now in COP26. Uh, we're very proud it, it, it demonstrated that. That's a very cool achievement. So that recognition is awesome. And now really you've got, well, you've I say you've got the technology, but you've certainly got the basis for it. And I'm sure there's lots to build on, of course, as the river, a never ending roadmap is a healthy thing. So then where, where again, does your focus lie as a company, like, and as you think about your investments for, for the coming year, because you've only got certain resources and you need to decide where to place your bet. And presumably it's all about distribution. Yeah, yeah exactly. So our, our technology does a place where it's working it's obviously our, our algorithm as much, as more data we're gonna onboard the the better our algorithm are going to be for each and every different asset class that's ongoing but where we are right now it's commercialization and distribution uh, and also onboarding of our clients. Uh, it's a new technology people don't understand. It's a type of uh, sector which is slow moving, uh, you know, building owner and you have a lot of legacy buildings and and sometimes the equipments are long lasting. It could last like HVAC system could last, I don't know, 20, 30, 40 years. So we need to educate our clients and we need to educate our distributors. So we just uh, started to commercialize 2019, we're in second year. Um, so we're putting a lot of effort building our sales team, our distribution channel, and you know, training all those people to make sure we convert this big potential into revenue and cash flow. And so then when you're thinking about how you built the, your finance team and, and that, that's trying to partner and guide that that growth within the, the company, how are you approaching that? I joined eight weeks ago, Brainbox, and basically uh, a big mandate that uh, was given to me is 
automation. So we're still like an early stage company, but we're selling in 17 countries right now. And we have more than 100 million of like uh, square footage of building that, that we touch right now. And the, the finance function, when you start a company, was not the first one to put in place. So I, it's, a, it's the first CFO position in the company. So I still, I approach the finance function as I need to build a base while strategically upgrading and business partnering with the operation. So an important part of that is putting process in place. An important part of that is an ERP system that we are thinking and talking about right now. But it's also to educate, like just raise my finance team and having the proper people on board and make sure we are adequately supporting our, our partners, which they're learning as well. Like uh, we're, we're having our first sell. So just the, like, for example, the PO to cash process, the, like it's, it's bumpy right now. So to improve all kinds of those process and, and make sure I support the team. So I, I'm approaching that with a lot of it's with a lot of fun and stimulate. It's going to be very stimulating. I was in a software company before, but I was more in a, an established company, growing through M and A. But now it's about internal growth. It's about make sure we grow organically. We establish the base, and so this uh, what I call the Maslow pyramid of finance, starting from base finance operation to strategic cons- strategic support. We need to get through that the full uh, pyramid right now. So that's how I'm pr- I'm approaching that. And it's all, all start with people. You have to bring the proper people on the bus. You, we, you work as a team and you just uh, support your business partner, which, which are the operation. In our case, your internal clients. Then you show that you could bring value to an organization and the wheels is starting, starting well. One of the things and the themes that's come up is that, and you mentioned automation. So at the heart of what Brainbox is offering your customers is is automation and a level of intelligence that didn't exist before. And then you're trying to embed that within the way that Brainbox works as well. But of course, depending on where you automate and what you automate, you might need fundamentally different people or different skills in your team to be able to build that in. And is that something that you're considering as you build your team because you're trying to look at the technology or tools in hand in hand with the people? Yeah, definitely. We'd like to try to, let's say, repetitive task, try to get, get rid of that and so that our people are focused on value-created stuff. I'm onboarding people that have worked in uh, transforming companies, uh, that have worked with uh, IS people, uh, have assembled like ERP system. I have worked on uh, putting in place IS system. Uh, so definitely in this entrepreneurial spirit is, is key when, I, when I'm looking for people right now. And yes, the link between finance and IS right now, in my case, in automation is is very important. I think as a company, we underestimate the level of value that the IS people brings. Because as you know, an accountant, I'm not though. I have I, I know how to align the projects, but you need people doing it with the business in mind. And those IS people. I started to realize that probably like seven, eight years ago when I was at Cassette, where there was a lot of internal developers for reporting, for system like consolidation. And and I realized like the value over the long run for a company is huge. And sometimes we don't think about it because we're using expert consultants and they help us. But, but to have those resources in-house, is huge and i'm i'm trying to look for those that have both finance is or that could 
I've interacted with other departments. That's uh, very important in, in times of my re recruiting criteria right now. And so really you're looking for people who have got the technical skills from a financial perspective, but also an, at least an awareness, if not direct experience with, with software and tools. Exactly. And if it's not with software and tools, it's with process improvement. So for example, like treasury when you do treasury internationally like there, there's a lot of automation you could have just with optimizing your bank system and understanding how you could use your accounting system and your bank system and uploads and formation so people that have done it uh, that understands like the, the, what's to build an international company is important again in my uh, recurring criteria and you mentioned that ERP is the natural place for you to start, like get get something in that allows you to scale. Beyond that, are there other areas, uh, other particular processes or, or areas within finance that you're looking to to automate? We're looking, I mentioned before, the appeal to cash. For me, I'm, I'm looking to automate, but also educate and, and fine tune that process. And it starts with our legal agreements and the way we inter interact with our clients. In there, you can understand that when you're a startup at first, you need to accept conditions so that your clients wants to work with you and they give you the opportunity to be like you're, you're kind of guinea pigs and you, you want to make sure that they try your product. So that's a phase of evolution. I think we're at next phase where, you know, contractually, we need to improve that so that our appeal to cash process is, is shorter. So we start there. Then all the onboarding of a client from a finance perspective, um, how do we project manage, the, when do we invoice, at, uh, what, what is, there's some trigger points in our ag agreement, but those trigger points could be subjective sometimes. So how do we make sure that our people that uh, very often are technical savvy, but maybe less financial savvy, and they want to please client and like maybe sometimes, you know, it's disadvantages in terms of financial perspective for, for the company. So how do you find this balance so that everyone's happy? So training our own people and make sure that project manager thinks about also uh, getting some, uh, some some money in, in, in the bank. And then it's all like the invoicing component, automate invoicing, make sure we have a like collection type of approach. So we're currently working on all of those elements right now to try to shrink our appeal to cash. So that's uh, that's another area we've worked on um, AP. So we've we've used a best of breed system on the accounts payable side, which I think we're doing a good job right now. I've talked about like treasury, but just leveraging the bank platform to a better, like more efficient uh, way, we gain a lot of you know efficiency there on an AP standpoint. So yeah, I mean, expense accounts, try to get into like all digital electronic type of format signatures and app approvals and stuff like that. So those are quick wins that are not uh, system related, but process related that gives you a, a big win at the end. Sounds like a mountain of work. Yes, <laughs> but that's a good example of, you know, you want to create strategic value and but you need to establish your base and and we should not lose that like is the key. And again, I've worked with more established company and it's all rolling and it's all like you realize that there's been like a lot of people before you that have, have built those and you don't realize how like how much work it was when it's a mature system and mature tools and you press a button and you get your your, your report and your dashboard. 
um, now like we're, we're we're establishing dashboard. We need about to think about KPIs and accountability of our people, and it's it's all like in process. But at the same time, it's it's iterative, and you know it's not going to be perfect day one. But you have something, and you, you make sure the wheel is turning. So that's how we approach it. I feel very pleased because. The mindset of management is we're building the plane as we're flying it, um, and and basically so that's okay. Like we know we're not perfect in even finance uh, areas, but we want to improve and we need to demonstrate that we're improving and we're getting better. That's that's our our, our goal right now. Later it's going to be different, but today that's that's our focus. So, uh, and I think that's one of the exciting things about uh, an early stage scale up is that, and it's a phrase that we use at, at Soldo, which is taking joy in the making of, of it. Whereas in the past, you're often somewhere where it already exists and you're tweaking or redesigning or optimizing. But when you're building something from scratch, it's both incredibly challenging, but it's actually incredibly rewarding because you get the opportunity to think from first principles or fix all the mistakes that you made in the past in other places. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And that's what attracted me in that job. Like I, I love my previous company and it was like all good. I could have stayed there a very a long time, but it was more mature. It was established and the Brainbox AI opportunity was for me first time to jump into like a more startup mindset, grow international growth. So that was very attractive. So you're right. And like feeling re- rewarded, sometimes you lose like the side say, Oof, okay, like this should work better. But yeah, I, at the end of the week, you say, okay, we've accomplished and we've built something this week and it feels good. It feels good. And you add that to the, you know, the mission and the purpose of the company from a, a greater good standpoint. It's it's very, um, it's very appealing and it's fun. And I want to make sure our, my people, my team, they feel part of this and, and that mission and they find a way to contribute and not that they feel like, a, you know, a shared service function that, you know, c- cannot have bring value to, to the greater good, which we, we all do in a sense. So um, that's also very important for me in terms of engaging the new people that are joining us right now. And with that in mind, actually, so you mentioned that you, you've been now CFO at, uh, at lar- a larger company and now a small but rapidly scaling scale-up company. So what advice would you give to or offer to others, aspiring CFOs, to help them prepare so they could be successful in the role? I would say go there with an open-minded and not too much of a finance mind in a sense that be prepared to be a business partner and think about the corporation. So be a business partner. That's That would be my recommendation. Think about this mindset of customer focus and your customer being your other department because, you know, you need to partner with CEO and yes, finance is such a critical and you have like a financial stewardship role that is very, very important. But more than that, we're not an accounting firm where we're selling accounting department. We're selling, in our case, artificial intelligence and we're selling energy reduction. That's what we need as a company to demonstrate. So in finance, align your the company interests with, with the finance interests and be open to that. And And your goal should be to propel those divisions and those internal clients and bring them value so that they go at you and they use you, they utilize you and they see that it's fun to work with finance and it's it's great because they help me in my day-to-day. So that would be my advice. And then 
be open because you know it's so intellectually very stimulating you you have a lot of decisions to take on a daily basis from finance operation to strategic one so try to use all your arrays of like expertise and make sure that you're not trying to protect or prevent a company from growing for example or stop projects try to understand sometimes you have to stop projects but but try to understand why people are doing it and and try to be in solution mode instead of like i i think early in my career like the the accounting departments were very and i heard that from many people working with me like they were going to finance and they were scared and say oh shit my finance my project will be blocked and everything it's okay to block it but try to help them pitching you so that you could acceptance in a way so that it's going to bring value to the company is going to create value for our shoulders or and we have a role to play there because I, I realized growing that there's different kinds of expertise that you know and we we have like we we're trained to see all that where we have a good horizontal view and a good business sense and we could interact with different with, with uh, you know creative people with engineers with marketing with sales we could talk the talk with them, which uh, some departments is sometimes more difficult to do. So, but we see it all. So, so that would be my advice for a CFO, like uh, transitioning, let's say from early CFO transitioning from a specialist role to a CFO role, try to make sure you're open-minded. Great advice, Francis. Francis, we're drawn to a close now. So the, I would finish off with one last question, which is a very difficult one, of course. Predictions for next year. The last two years have been uh, probably the most challenging years ever to try and forecast and predict. Looking at the way you know the world is at the moment and going into next year, are there any particular trends or predictions that you are betting on at Brainbox AI? Yeah, I mean, it's a tough question. We feel very optimistic. And, you know, for us, like what's happening in the world right now, we started our company, like the company is born during COVID area. So uh, the risk of the variant, what we see right now today, like we've gone in through that. So we've, we're not more affected than we were. And we just like won a very good price at uh, Cup26. We're growing like crazy. I, I think the prediction maybe if there is is you know we expect high growth and we have a good value proposition but i think the growth maybe will not be as fast as 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 we think internationally whether we want it or not like travel helps like business relationship build helps in terms of making sure especially as a young company people understand your product so if there's a prediction maybe like there's probably going to be a, a travel restriction right now coming up. We're not over with all this and um, and that we should be uh, conservative in terms of our, our growth forecast. That would be my, my feel. Uh, this being said, in our case, it's still going to be tremendous growth and tremendous like challenge to manage a global deployment in, in this uh, this weird period of time that we are. So the way we manage that right now is like, cash forecast is is more frequent but also make sure our communications with all our parties like our stakeholder whether it's our employees or our business partner our clients are as good as possible so but in terms of uh, financial success or financial impact uh, we still like a very we're very optimistic and we're uh, we're looking forward for next year actually 
No, and I can imagine it's a, it's an incredible space to be in. I think Brainbox AI has is trying to solve a problem that could have a huge impact across the world. So, yeah, thank you very much for joining us, Francis. It's been brilliant to listen to you. If anyone wanted to follow you or connect with you, any of our listeners wanted to follow you or connect with you online, uh, is there a particular place that they should do that? I think my LinkedIn page page should be the, the go to uh, first go to, and and then uh, we could connect together with different methods. Francis, thank you very much. Thanks, Ross. Greatly appreciated. Good to meet you. If you have a question you'd love to ask a guest, visit cfoplaybook.fm and submit your question there. This show is brought to you by Soldo, the brighter way to manage business spending and expenses. With Soldo, you can control every expense, track spend in real time, automate financial reporting and then use those insights to fuel growth. Learn more at soldo.com.